Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cults and Crime, a true crime podcast covering cults, crime, and everything in between. We're your hosts. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. So we did mention this earlier in the other pod, on our podcast last week, but it is Stalking Awareness Month. I was able to take part in Spark Training. Spark Training is a stalking prevention awareness and resource center. It ensures that first responders and other allied professionals have the specialized knowledge to identify and respond to the crime of stalking. Through this training, I received invaluable information. So while I was going through this training, I had a great educational opportunities, and we're giving you guys some quick facts and statistics on stalking. Over 6.6 million people are victims each year. 76% of those victims are women, and they're mostly being stalked by men. 15% of women will be victimized by stalking sometime in their lifetime, and over 75% of people are stalked by someone that they know. That part at the very end about how a lot of times you get stalked by somebody you know is a good segue onto our case today. So we're going to be covering the case of Peggy Klink. So Jamie actually propositioned me to do a little more research on this story because she learned about it through her spark training. Right, Jamie? Exactly. Her story is just so heart-wrenching of a story about someone who did everything right and just honestly, really to God, did not deserve what happened to her. So, without any ado, we're going to discuss the case of Peggy Klink. In the fall of 98, Peggy Klink had moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico and began her undergrad classes for medical school at Albuquerque College. She was a third child in a family of four and she'd grown up in this really small town in Ohio. So she was a giant health nut. She'd worked as a yoga instructor and a fitness instructor, and this passion for health and the human body is really what led her to her ultimate dream of becoming a doctor. So, without knowing a single person, she moved all the way to New Mexico, and she immediately started reaching out and making friends with the other students. This is where she met the fellow student at the university, Patrick Kennedy. So he took her out to coffee on their very first date, and when she had called her sister to report on the date, she said that Patrick was super nice and caring, and he was very interested in starting a relationship with Peggy. So how quick the relationship was going, it really did set off a lot of red flags for Peggy's sister. Peggy had brushed it all off by saying that he just really liked her, and he was really serious about the relationship. And, I realized, and it wasn't long before Patrick asked Peggy to move in. But once Peggy moved in, that's when things started going horribly wrong. He started becoming controlling over every activity of Peggy's life. He didn't like what she wore and would often need to know her exact schedule. And if she wore something he didn't like, he would call her whore. That's a huge red flag. Yeah, I know, right? Peggy had realized at this point the relationship wasn't going to work and she would attempt to leave. But every single time he'd break down and beg and plead with her saying how sorry he was and she became fearful of what he would do to her if she tried to leave. According to our sister, she didn't know what the breaking point was, but it hit and Peggy left. She waited until Patrick had left the apartment before packing up as much stuff as she could carry and left. That very next day, Peggy called her sister. The very first thing out of her mouth was, you're never going to believe this. He's stalking me. 
See, Peggy had moved across town to get away from Patrick, but he called her constantly, 10 to 20 times a day, every day. He would tell her he loved her and he needed her to please come back. He found out where she lived and where she would often go, and he waited for her to show up and he used to beg her there as well. See, what a lot of people don't realize is just calling is stalking someone. You know, calling, emailing, texting, IMing, whatever people do. That in itself is repeated contact, which is stalking. Well, she became fearful of her own shadow. She looked around every single corner looking for him because he was always around. Everywhere she went, even at her own home, she didn't feel comfortable and safe. Months later, though, unexpectedly, Peggy had met another man. He was a pharmaceutical rep by the name of Mark Sparks. He was kind and easygoing. And in the documentary, Someone's Watching, Mark had said, he had to work up the courage to ask her out. And she was someone that made your jaw drop just when you see her. It can't be easy to trust again after, while all this is still going on. You know, your last boyfriend is stalking you. You don't feel safe in your home. And then you're allowing someone else into your life. That must have been such a hard process for her. Yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine. And it wasn't long before Patrick caught wind that Peggy had begun dating somebody else. And he obviously didn't like it. Patrick had even one point sweet talked Mark's own mother to get his phone number and began to call him and harass him, threatening him as well. Peggy would often tell Mark that she didn't want him to leave, but she understood if he did. But Mark didn't leave. Mark stuck by Peggy the entire time. Patrick began escalating his behavior further. At one point, he had hid in a bush and jumped out with roses in one hand and a wedding ring in the other. You've got to be kidding me. How delusional. Peggy did the only thing she knew what to do, and she just walked right by him, ignoring his advances. And that's exactly what you're supposed to do. But this enraged Patrick. He had took a photo of her, and he had made over 100 flyers with the letterings writing, I have herpes, and I can give it to you too, with her number underneath. What an... What a petty, small-minded thing to do. It was horrible for her because he hung these at the local grocery store, at her gym, even at her own job. She could not go anywhere with having flyers with her face on it saying that she has herpes. So everybody she knows, everyone she associates with on a daily basis has to see this as well. See, and this is also just another form of like victimizing her. You know, not only is he behind every corner, but literally there's a paper version of him stalking you, following you. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going. It's just another way of him exerting that control over her life. Exactly. And at this point, she took her sister's advice and she went to the police. They had taken the flyers and they told their stories. But they really couldn't do much with this kind of case. He wasn't breaking any laws and they really couldn't do anything. All they could do was tell her to document what he was doing and that way they could make a pattern so she could file for a restraining order. And around this time, Peggy's brother was getting married, so her and Mark took a flight out to attend the wedding. Patrick decided to call Peggy's brother, saying how sorry he was that he was unable to attend the wedding. He wasn't invited. You weren't invited. No one wants you here. Well, instead of attending the wedding, he decided to take a flight to Ohio. He decided to spray paint on Peggy's mother's door, PK is a whore, before returning home. Then, during the wedding... Mark had received a phone call. 
It was from his mother that his house was on fire. Oh my god. Yeah. This fire was started by somebody. And it really wasn't a mystery who it was. The fire was investigated, but it was extremely hard to find any evidence as who is the culprit in the arson case. Most of it obviously goes up in flame. This would be the first time that Patrick had reached farther than Peggy alone. And now started with her family. And this was the first time that he had committed an actual crime. Peggy brought in over 200 pages of documentation received as a restraining order from the police and Patrick was charged with stalking charges, which is a misdemeanor at the time. They searched Patrick's home and found a receipt for an assault rifle. Peggy's entire family believed that since Patrick was breaking the laws that the police would finally be able to help Peggy. The stalking trial was set to take place months from now. Peggy was fearful for her own life, so she moved to Turlock, California. She didn't tell anybody where she was going. None of her friends, not even her job. She left zero trace. She didn't even leave a forwarding address, and she even changed her number. She did everything she could to try to run away. Once again, she's doing everything right. She's ignoring him. She's taking herself out of the situation. She's letting her friends and family know what's going on. She's not please help. Literally everything you're supposed to do. And once she'd moved, she'd contacted local authorities, letting them know about the situation and informed her neighbors and coworkers as well. She would show pictures of Patrick to everyone, letting them know that if they saw him to just please contact the police immediately. But still, everywhere Peggy went, she searched the shadows. She was scared that he would finally find her and what would happen when he did. Even a parked car in front of her house she didn't recognize would prompt a call to local police to have it checked out. Months had gone by at this point, and things were getting quiet for a time. The trial was fast approaching, and she was finally to get some relief. But in mid-November, Patrick started again. Peggy's mom had received a box of family photos, all of them damaged. And on Thanksgiving, Peggy's mother answered the phone to a frantic Patrick. I know where she is, and in a minute, there will be death. Peggy had flown to Albuquerque's airport to visit Mark. And somehow Patrick had found out. They did call Albuquerque Police Department and inform them of the situation, begging them to just please check on Peggy and Mark. The family knew that Patrick often watched Mark's home because within minutes of Peggy arriving in Albuquerque, Mark would begin receiving these odd phone calls. Peggy's mother and sister sent their statements to Albuquerque Police as well. So the DA did finally follow up with Peggy, and at one point she asked them, Will it take a bullet in my head for you to do something about this? When Peggy had attempted to return home for the holidays to visit her loving family, well, her sister described it as two weeks of hell. While Peggy was visiting her family, Patrick's sister-in-law called. She said that Patrick had disappeared and they didn't know where he was at all and to please keep an eye out for him if Peggy was home for the holidays. Peggy's family contacted Ohio's police to inform them of Patrick and requested that they put the house on watch. They knew he had an assault rifle as well as other guns and the entire family was scared. When she returned to California in January, just a week before the trial, Patrick had found Peggy. He had been searching for her for months. 
At one point, he hired a private investigator to find her. And when he did, he immediately flew out to California. That private investigator needs their license revoked. I don't care what information he thought he was researching, but that's inexcusable. Well, it wasn't illegal back then. That's what's so sad. It wasn't illegal to hire a private investigator to find someone you're stalking. And I just can't even imagine. When Patrick had flew to California, he checked his luggage. Inside was an assault rifle and a handgun. He then posed as a private investigator at the point asking multiple people until a delivery driver gave him Peggy's exact address. He broke into her garage and he waited. It was Saturday morning when he finally caught her. He tied her hands behind her back, choked and beat her. He repeatedly hit her with the butt of the gun to the point where her blonde hair had turned red. Even after all this, Peggy had broke free. She ran to her neighbor's apartment and contacted the police, but Patrick was right behind her. He broke through the sliding glass door and pulled her into the bedroom. Police did arrive and surrounded the building. But Patrick had held her at gunpoint. He'd pinned her to the ground. I think Peggy had known at that moment she was going to die. She began to cry out to the police officers outside, begging them to tell her mother she loved her. To tell her niece that she will now have a guardian angel watching over her. And to tell her sister to name her baby after her. Patrick shot Peggy in the back of the neck before turning the gun on himself. Peggy was an amazing, powerful, strong woman. She loved her family, and she wanted to explore what the world had to offer. Her sister did honor her wishes, naming the little girl inside of her belly Peggy. But they will never have Peggy back. She will never meet the sweet little girl named after her. No one should ever have to go through what Peggy and her family went through. To be afraid to walk out of your house and to be able to, you can't even run your daily tasks without being afraid. Peggy's boyfriend, when getting the call about Peggy's murder, dropped down on his knees in front of a photo of the two of them and proposed to her, but he'll never get an answer. Mark, along with her family, had flown to Turlock to pack up these things They had to see the signs of struggle at the apartment where she had fought for her life. They had to see the blood-soaked apartment. And after going to the police station and getting all the details in the brutal and senseless murder, Mark had to hold her mother as she cried. But how could you comfort someone who lost a daughter? Since Peggy's death, her family has been an advocate for the rights of anyone who suffered from being stalked. 
It is now illegal for a private investigator to help a known stalker find their victim, as well as retraining police to better protect their victims. But guys, there's still so much work that needs to be done. Exactly. There is so much educational stuff that needs to get done with this. Most people think stalking is harmless, you know, someone following you around for a little bit. But in Peggy's case, it got deadly relatively quickly. This was all within a year. You know, most people hear stalking and they're like, oh, it's just a little crush, it'll go away. Oh, well, they just really like you, maybe you should give them a chance. No, stalking's a crime, it's serious, and it has lifelong effects to the victims. Yeah, and with Peggy, it's like, she did, I can't, I can't give over that she did absolutely everything correctly. Everything she could do in her power. And unfortunately, at that time, the law was just limited. There was nothing the law could do. Now we have much quicker sentencing for this kind of thing, especially if people are getting violent like that. Well, now you can get a temporary restraining order fairly quickly from the judges. And if they can prove that you broke that restraining order, even with a phone call, don't you go to jail? Yes. But it's also really hard to prove. You know, it's hard to prove that someone is at the grocery store just to see you as opposed to just getting groceries. Or they're driving by, maybe they're going to see their cousin or they're on their way to work. It's one of those things where a restraining order is a good step forward, but there needs to be more. If you guys want more information on the subject, you can go to stalkingawareness.org. That's where you'll find all the spark information that I've previously covered and way more than I could ever get into. So Spark is a comprehensive national resource. It's multifaceted and it works with law enforcement. And also, just people who want information like me and you. There's quizzes you can take to see if you're being as well as resources if you are. So if you know anybody that's being stalked or you may think's being stalked, that website is a really good tool to utilize and I would highly recommend it and to contact your local police. Remember guys, there are resources. I understand you might be in a situation where it's even dangerous to get those resources, but I really highly suggest get reaching out. All right, guys, so that's the end of our episode. Next week, we are to be covering a cult. Jamie, what are we going to be talking about? Okay, next week, we're going to be covering the Order of the Solar Temple. This is a French cult, and it has religious beliefs based on the ideals of the Knights of Templar. All right, guys, so before I end our episode... Don't forget to like us on Instagram, follow us on Instagram, and you can go onto either Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, like us, give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. It's really the best way of letting other people know how great we are and what you guys love us. <laughs> right? Who doesn't love us? <laughs> exactly. We've seized no negative comments. All right, guys. So I'll see you next week with an exciting new episode. Bye, guys. See you next week. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers. 